Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of Off the Record. We got that kind of fast, huh? Um, <laughs> we've been having a good time so far, and today we got a little user and uh, listener feedback from some listeners at this point, and kind of cool to get that. So if you have any questions for us, go to Off the Record. .fm and uh, leave us an ask question on Tumblr or tweet at us or email us. Um, we love working what you guys are thinking about into the show, and we're excited to do that today. Uh, to keep track of the show and what we're talking about, go to offtherecord.fm and click on show notes, and you can find all the links and any other topics we've been talking about. Uh, so we're just going to start off and talking about streaming and sort of the evolution of it over the first over the last few years, rather, we got a listener email uh, asking about Last FM, and uh, you know, he said he was a big fan of the service, and that rung pretty true to me because I used it for many years, but it just seems like it never met its potential. Uh, and Jesse, we were just talking before, and you said you never really used it until you were working with Man Overboard, right? Yeah. So I found Last FM to be like a great tool as a manager because we were able to do things like. Um, we could see who was listening to the band and commenting on the page. We could actually interact with them, which you can't do on Spotify. Um, but, like, we could go to our page and then we could literally see that somebody was just listening to the EP. But by this point, let's say we had two other EPs out or maybe even an EP in the first compilation full length before we met. And we could message them uh, and say, hey, you could get a free sampler by going to our website. And it was an unbelievable way to interact with people who already liked our band um, or their band that I was working with, I should say. But um, what do you call it? And uh, we really saw a lot of fans come through it. Um, the other fun fact about it is um, last week we talked about record leaks. And uh, one of the ways we found out who leaked the record was by tracing back who was listening to it through Last.fm at what time and then seeing who was friends with that person because you could see each person's friends and who they interacted with and then when we confronted the person who did it, they fully admitted it. Uh, that was Jeff from Run for Cover, who was smart enough to do that. What a guy! Yes. For me, I think I found. I don't know. I think I found Last Album probably when I was thirteen or fourteen. I was always, and I wonder if this really only rings true with people who are like super getting into a music genre they love when they're like thirteen or fourteen. But I was very interested in my iTunes play counts and like, oh, I've listened to this Blink One Eighty Two song three hundred times cool but i got a new computer at some point and uh all of those like play counts disappeared and that bummed me out because i just it was cool to me to see what i listened to most naturally and so i i think i had to mention that to someone and someone was like you should check out last fm and sure enough i did and it was so cool to like see week by week or month by month or year by year what sort of bands or artists i was listening to the most and then in addition to like finding all these friends that you're super compatible with. And that's something that, and we're about to get into this, but that's something to me that, you know, Spotify or an audio, I wish did as well, perhaps. And just that, you know, I would click, let's say, to be friends with Jesse Cannon. And it would either say our music was super compatible because we both liked music and punk or where maybe one day it would say we're not compatible because you're listening to a bunch of dance stuff. <laughs> so, so i mean we're a few years out from that though like so when i start when i started using last fm i was like 14 and we're six or seven years beyond that and i don't use it anymore uh and my primary reason is different from another person's i don't use it anymore because with the website i'll get an advance of let's say a man overboard record and i'm not supposed to show other people what the track listing is or something if that hasn't been announced yet you know so I'm I'm in the very like small percentage of people where it's like I can't actually use that service because I don't want to get yelled at by some manager, but uh, I think kind of just everyone is using it less at this point. And unless you had Last FM installed on your computer for in the last few years and you're still using that computer, I don't know the next computer I got if I would install it again. You know what I mean? Yes, I, I have a similar thing too. Of that, um, I can remember when Spotify would show everybody what I was listening to on Facebook and. I have to oftentimes reference music because of the records I'm doing. And somebody says, hey, can you put on that Taylor Swift song that we put it on repeat for an hour? I don't want people to really think I'm listening to Taylor Swift for an hour straight. I have some pride in my life. But um, 
I think it was interesting you're talking. Look, I can get down with her oh, periodically. Not me. Um, <laughs> but uh, what I think is an interesting um, point of this, though, is, yes, the connections of music taste. And, like, I find um, it really interesting to use audio these days is I'll often – I'll get into these like micro genres of like weird dance music and they'll be named weird things like squee or things like that. What's great is you can go on audio and search under playlists and find other playlist users have made of squee stuff. And I can go in there and I can just sample through maybe two or three different squee playlists. till I find one where somebody has some taste and sure enough, it's like some weirdo from Iceland who's really into this stuff, but we have some connection. They're introducing me to this like, type of music or some sort of taste. And I even see the thing all the time of like, you know, on audio, I'm, I see what you're listening to when it's, uh, scrabbles through. There's other people I see what they're listening to. And I'm like, Oh, I should check out that record when I'm bored. And I use the, there's a tab called recent activity that shows you everything your friends are doing on audio. And I just go through that sometimes when I'm like not inspired and I'm not finding anything new to listen to. And I found some great stuff over the years by listening through that stuff. And to me, to me, Last FM had this incredible promise because everyone was using it. Everyone that had like a musical MySpace page would have been using that, you know, or or if Tumblr really existed, like in in like true mainstream success, anyone who used Tumblr also would have used like Last FM, that kind of thing. And you know, I think CBS bought it. I think that's right. Yes, I think CBS owns Last FM. Uh, Yes, and you know, it probably then seemed like a great choice because. Everyone only used Last M. There was really no other alternative. Like a, a streaming or a radio thing like Pandora existed, but they were very different. And so with Last FM now a few years out from when they got bought and now that it's on the very like major uh, downfall now, it's just to me it just seems like there was really no game plan. There was no vision of how to make money. They had these they had these radio things and it but no one was using that because no one really was necessarily into the idea of online music radio besides a Pandora at that point. And everyone was more into the tracking. But now, of course, we've evolved and, you know, there is this more promise of money, I guess, from streaming. And I, I know you want to get into that from a, from an RDO and a Spotify. And Spotify and RDO are obviously do tracking and they do show you what your other friends are listening to. But that's more of a side effect of the tool itself that people like. And it's kind of, it's kind of interesting to see how everyone six years ago just wanted to keep track of what they were listening to, but not necessarily stream that random song that their friend has listened to 26 times on their page. And now it's Mm -hmm. right. Yes. So what do you think about the promise of money aspect? Well, I think like we're, we have an interesting thing these days that I don't see being talked about is that like, Last FM and Pandora are the friendster in my space of music streaming sites is that they're going to die. Um, and yes, they did it first, but first, you know, there's like a great tech saying that's not coming to me, but like first usually is not the best thing to be in uh, technology these days is that you're going to go down and somebody's going to see how to do it better from you and take a lot of your model, but perfect it later. Um, and I think that's the thing is we're, we're going to see – um, Pandora, you know, every every article these days goes, Pandora is going to go bankrupt. And really, that doesn't mean that Pandora is going to shut down like Turntable FM. That means that somebody's going to buy Pandora's algorithm and repurpose it in their service, or somebody's just going to buy Pandora and find a way to make it a little bit more profitable since it's being run terribly. Um, but the bigger thing is, is that Last FM did not have as much of a way to. Um, make music make money off of music whereas spotify rdo and beats are all supposed to as they get more subscribers put more money back into the music business since the royalty rates are supposed to raise everybody complains about these royalty rates mostly because people don't understand them um but we should understand that this is all a good thing that services like last fm who actually like when you think about it, Last FM, part of their profit model was is they'd get money by people paying to be put into the radio service, which also incidentally then makes the radio service worse because you're not getting bands that people actually like in there. You're getting bands who have money and are paying to be in, recommended to you. I always think that dilutes the quality of things, but 
that's another why, reason why Last FM didn't make it. But instead of taking the money from the bands, um, these services are paying out, and they're supposed to pay out more. And because they're so much better than torrent sites, and people stop using torrent sites with it, this is supposed to bring the money back into the business. And I think we always get see people getting really short-sighted about that of when they start avoiding these services and get afraid and they read some dumb article by somebody telling them half-truths about royalties. Um, they get scared of the future and they run away without actually de- doing any research to the facts. Yeah, I think rarely... Mm. So unless you're someone maybe writing for a website that is like a... I don't know, digital music news or a tech website or whatever, covering like a Spotify or a Pandora kind of thing with royalty rates. You know, I think there's a very finite amount of people that actually know like how that works, including musicians and, you know, probably even managers as well. Like I know managing Knucklepuck, we get a check every month from, you know, uh, from Spotify and RDO and whatever. And sometimes that's very nice and sometimes it's not. But I don't, I'm not, I don't know that anyone, except if you're writing like a big piece about it, scathing it or loving it, is going to truly dig into it. And that's a problem because we just all shit talk it instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and something like Last FM, I think, you know, they just, they, they were there first. And whatever that saying is, you're totally right. You know, it's easy to see what someone is doing. And that first thing may get success because it's the first to its. It's the first of its kind, but, you know, once that is settled in a little bit and the dust has settled from that, it's so much clearer to see, oh, but they should be doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, that's what Spotify and RDO and all these other services are doing now, and it, and it's great. Like, it's clear we don't need Last FM. It's kind of clear we don't really need Pandora either now. It's, you know, there was obviously no guarantee that users and music fans wanted what Spotify and RDO are providing before they started doing it, but it's clear that they were right. And I don't think those models are perfected. They're not perfected for me yet, but it's clearly, it's clearly come above the, uh, I'm an avid music fan, so I'm going to get last FM. And now it's just, I see people walking down the street or in the subway listening to offline Spotify downloaded playlists. You know, it's mm-hmm. the, I, f- I think with, where we're at now with that is to, it doesn't matter how much of an outrage people are going to throw over royalty rates because the mainstream person doesn't really care about that. And they're really happy with their service. And at the end of the day, you know, if these services become more popular in the mainstream, which they are, more artists are going to get paid more money. Yes. And that's sort of my thought on that, I guess. Like it's, it's going to be okay. I think And there's, there's an interesting trend I'm seeing that. So, you know, we all remember how crazy we all went over Turntable FM when it came out. But uh, if you, in case you don't know, Turntable FM uh, went out of business. And now there's a service called Plug.DJ, which is basically the exact same service. Um, but what's interesting is a lot of the startups these days are now, instead of having to deal with licensing from every single label, which they know is a bad profit model and which is a lot of what's sucking the money out of Pandora aside from their poor uh, skills at monetizing their service. Um, they're saying you can only... The CEO gets paid. Oh, yes. There was a great tweet by um, Van Dyke Parks who, you know, for those people who aren't 60s music nerds, uh, he was like probably like the greatest string arranger for rock songs back in like the 60s, 70s. Uh, did a bunch of Beach Boys stuff, but uh, he tweeted a thing that uh, the CEO, I think, got paid $2 million less than every musician uh, on ASCAP uh, publishing company, which is, you know, ASCAP's, I'd say, something around like 40% of all musicians getting paid through that service. So that was pretty disgusting. And they've also just done a terrible job of monetizing their service. The greater point is, is that all these startups, like, you know, I get a lot of emails about startups because of the type of blog I run. And, um, Every one of them now will just be bringing in SoundCloud and YouTube streams because that already has a built-in profit model, and they don't have to then deal with um, sending royalties to bands because they're just aggregating content from another website. Totally, and we've talked about this before, like a label like Rise or, you know, all labels now, they make a significant amount of their 
uh, you know, it's not necessary. It's not like a royalty. It's just an ad. But they're making ads in the form of royalties for the music that they're streaming on these services, like YouTube, and that that's not a small chunk of money. That can be significant. Yeah, and that's great. And technically, there's two types of royalties when you're streaming off of YouTube. Is that you know, one they're getting paid for the ads from the YouTube service, and then there's also is a publishing royalty that comes from YouTube as long as the band is signed up for their publishing company. Which for any of the people in the business out there. I hope you have all your bands signed up with their publishing companies. I'm doing that right now. Right now. <laughs> Just right before we started right before we started taping, I I sent an email to the person helping me out with it. Nice. <laughs> Very nice, Zach. Good job. Thank you. I'm working. I'm working hard. <laughs> I know. I think I think like the more we've talked about this over the last five or six episodes, whatever, I've even though I'm not necessarily using Spotify and RDO every day because I, I'm just a little bit of an outlier of how mm. I need to listen to the music that's getting sent to me. Like I want to use it more and more and I'm going to get there. And I think if I'm going to get there, every like everyone's going to get there, especially with something like Beats and Apple now. Um, like if we really needed a mainstream push, there, there it is of all, of all things. And that, you know, I think that's the true potential now in the next year year and a half depending on where beats and apple move together that man if beats comes you know pre-installed on every iphone or whatever and you get a let's say you get a month free trial or we talked about it last week but maybe like a free for college kids stuff like that there's so many options you know but apple sells 40 million iphones a quarter so you know the option to really like push it to everyone is kind of significant and spotify is obviously doing the best job in getting their name out there. But, you know, uh, I think only, I think 10, 10 million people in the world are registered for Spotify, like are paying. And that's I great. Think it's, that's, no, um, I don't, I don't or, know. I don't know that I th- that's, that that's the right statistic, but we, we I should think check was, I think that. Jimmy Iovine said this. Yeah, I will check on that. But uh, when I was watching the, the Beats announcement, Jimmy Iovine had said that number several times, I believe. But I will double check and put that into the show notes. Regardless, though, there's a number, and it sounds really, uh, it sounds really like braggable because a few years ago, Spotify was not even in um, even in America. But now, like, mm-hmm. if you think about the potential of Apple, this mainstream mega mega company, and spot, you know, Spotify's worth nothing compared to Apple. Like when you really think about it, and you think what Apple can do if they could put their streaming service on 40 million new iPhones a month and iPads and, you know, and Macs and whatever, then, you know, we're not, we're still totally in the infancy. And in in the same sense to me as last FM was the first thing to come before Spotify, like, you know, they're just the second and third in the sense that we haven't, we haven't even truly broken into where we're going to see this. And, you know, who knows how the money is going to be when that happens, when Apple puts it on 100 million phones a year or whatever. But, you know, there's still the the potential gold rush of streaming is not even visible right now, which is good. That's a good thing. Agreed. So I got numbers here. Um, as of uh, three weeks ago, they have 10 million paid customers for Spotify in the U.S. and 40 million across the globe. Okay. So, um Ten million in the U.S. is good. Like if you think of it, that's one out one out of every thirty-two people have Spotify. That means um, I'm doing that. Yes, I am doing that math right. So <laughs> uh, I think another interesting aside to this mentioned too is that this thing of having uh, the software come pre-installed. We also have to remember that we don't talk about this often, but there is Xbox Music, which comes with every new piece of Windows and every Xbox. Um, and it's basically the same thing as Spotify, already and Beats. We just don't talk about it as much because it's not very sexy or well done, but it has just about all and the there's same Google, music. And there's Google Music too. Yes. Like, uh, the Google these Play things system. exist, but they're just not, yeah, they're just not doing as good as a job, I guess. I feel like it's such a missed opportunity. But we should also remember that before Spotify launched in America, um, Move Music, MUV, was the top streaming service of the same thing, but no one talked about it because it was on cricket phones. And not to you know get chew down this rabbit hole, but people who read and watch tech sites don't buy cricket phones because they know better right no offense to the people who own a cricket phone i know some people don't aren't throwing up dollars and uh 
you know, make it the make it bank like everybody else. But they were very cheap phones, and part of the incentive is, is that you had all this free music, and you weren't having to pay for music, and it helped make everything on a budget. But it had a huge, huge customer. I shouldn't say it in the past tense. It has a huge customer base. Still, and um, it's a streaming service that's very similar. Like, not every bell, bell and whistle of a Spotify audio, but it gets no attention because no one uses it in the communities that, you know, write about this stuff and get crazy about this stuff, despite the fact that, you know, if you've uploaded your music to it through any of the major dis- digital distributions, whether it's Orchard, Iota, to TuneCore, CD Baby, or Reverb Nation, or dis- uh, District, it actually doesn't go there, never mind. You're getting checks from that for anybody who's listening to your music, and it's money instead of people using torrents and you seeing no money and that's a difference well that's probably a good spot for our first sponsor uh off the record is once again brought to you by limited run limited run is an easy uh to set up direct to fan solution for labels and artists if you want to set up if you want to sign up just go for it and you'll be selling within just a few minutes and uh customers can pay through both paypal and credit Limited Run specializes in awesome features like cart limiting and digital street date solutions and digital and physical bundles. Uh, We are putting up two Bad Timing Record releases this week, and we just went through the very simple process of uh, having a different digital release date as a vinyl release date and just making sure all the pre-order bundles and packages were as good as we could use them. And um, I was poking around some other store options today, and it was quickly realized like there is no other option because we wouldn't be able to do this anywhere else uh so limited run is great you should go to limitedrun.com to check it out whether you're a band or a label or you have a clothing company like every other person in the world uh and thank you to limited run for sponsoring off the record everyone has a clothing company I don't have a clothing company. Everybody either. has a clothing <laughs> company. I, well, you, you, you know, um, considering I think you and I, uh, despite our age differences, our main uh, source of clothing is uh, bad T-shirts. I don't think we need to get that crazy. <laughs> yeah. You know, my, uh, <laughs> basically my, 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 uni, my uniform at this point, it's it, it, the summer is always a bad T-shirt. Maybe a Fred Perry or Ben Sherman if I'm trying to really keep it classy. I don't even know what those things are. Okay. <laughs> Come uh, on, dude! Dude, dude you, st- you never saw the dudes in newfound glory wearing them. Come on, Zach. I've seen it. <laughs> uh, so our next our next topic is well, you know, if you don't really see Facebook every Facebook post from all the pages you like anymore. Uh, and so I, you know, I think this is a topic that has sort of continued on for years and years now, and it's kind of uh, head scratching because it seems. It seems to only get worse. Well, it's only about two years. We should clarify what we mean. Um, so Facebook, if you let's say Zach likes my page of my fictitious band, and uh, let's say I have three hundred. Uh, actually, let's just make this nice and easy. I have a thousand likes flat on my page. Um, what Facebook did about two years ago is it said, you know what? Only 15%, so 150 out of the 1,000 people who have liked my page are ever going to see a post I make. So this happened about two years ago, I want to say. And uh, what Facebook announced a few months ago, I'd say about two months ago, uh, is that they're going to keep lowering this number. So you're already thinking 150 out of the 1,000 people who have liked my page. That's really, really awful. And But the reason Facebook does this is they want to sell you to buy those ads and hit promote on your page and make them money. So they started this policy on October 24th, 2012, I'm seeing. So it's been a bit. Um, So, but the big thing I've gotten into, and um, when it came time for me to update my book, Get More Fans, this uh, past spring, is I had to put a disclaimer in that I don't think you should be focusing on promoting and sending people to Facebook. And that's not to say that you shouldn't have a Facebook page and you shouldn't talk to fans who want to hear about you on Facebook. But if your life goal, like there were so many years that bands life goal was like, how do I get a hundred thousand people to like my band on Facebook? If that's your life goal goal, you are officially a sucker because you should be focusing on YouTube and Twitter, and most of all, email, because all of those are far more effective for spreading your message 
than Facebook is right now. And uh, Facebook's basically trying to con you to make you give them money in order to talk to fans who are enthusiastic about you to, enough to click like on your page. And you now can't communicate through them effectively. And, you know, what we're, we see now is I see a lot of people who publish their campaigns and of the click-throughs they get, you could get maybe 3 to 4% of people clicking a link on Facebook that you of the amount of people who are supposed to see it, whereas with email, you can get up to 20%. And YouTube's percentage keeps growing. Twitter's effective around 5 to 10% for some people. And you're just a sucker if you're really trying to, if you're focusing your campaigns and you're still doing like for a track as a premiere of your album and all these things. Oh god, that was the worst. Oh, it wow. really was the worst. That, that I think, was that, one of the I worst think that's pretty much died out. Yeah, no, yeah I, I think I, that has died out. <laughs> the, 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 I, you know, it's funny. I had um, to get an excerpt of my book. I had that you could like our page for uh, it, the excerpted copy, which was about forty percent of the book. I deleted it this week because I was, as I was thinking about this subject, uh, it was it became clear to me that I don't want their like. I'd rather get their email address or a tweet. Yeah, and so I think we both get to see how the shift with Facebook has like has affected the the products we either use like so or the businesses we run or the people that we work with who who Facebook was or or is important to. So for me today Property Zach has a little over 18,000 Facebook likes. Uh we have 28,000 Twitter followers and whatever. Uh, so the way our traffic works in 2014 is we get, compared to Facebook, Twitter, we probably get three to four times more traffic from just posting tweets throughout the day. Uh, and Twitter, and because of that, and and that is because, you know, only, you know, an average of one to 2,000 people see a Facebook post that we make, even though we have 18,000 likes. But, you know, the, obviously the way Twitter works is, Everyone can see it if they're looking at their Twitter timeline at that moment. Uh, and so I put a lot more effort on making our Twitter page like exciting. Uh, for Facebook, it's just an RSS feed of what we post. And Twitter is as well, but I'm much more, I'm much more uh, willing to like do a little something more to make what I'm posting on Twitter a little better if, if the situation you know, needs it. But Facebook, it just doesn't matter what I'm going to do because that's not really going to get to that many people. And that's pretty upsetting to me because it actually used to be reversed um, when Properties Act was starting in 2009. And then, let's say, before Facebook made the switch in 2012, we would see more, uh, you know, we would see, I think, a lot more interaction from Facebook. And maybe that's because we'd be posting stuff in the middle of the day and high school kids were, you know, on Facebook and now they're on Twitter instead in those hours. But, you know, that switch is likely Facebook's fault if that's, if people have shifted how they're using the platform, you know? Um, and so I was poking around a little. And so today I clicked on one of our Facebook posts. I clicked the boost sales button. So if you don't have a Facebook page, um, on the bottom right hand of a post, there's this button that says basically boost performance or boost sales. Uh, and so we currently have 18,000 Facebook likes. It would cost $100 per post to have our uh, Properties Act post reach a minimum of 18,000 uh, people and a max of 48,000 people. And then you guys, you know, that's just for 100 bucks. I mean, no biggie. Could do that all day, right? No. <laughs> Uh, no, I couldn't do that. Uh, and then to take it a step further, I, I looked at Real Friends's page, uh, and I, I do day-to-day -day management work for them, and they have about 170,000 likes, and that's great. That's awesome. Uh, I clicked on just a random post for them, and the minimum Facebook suggested I I uh, pay for a promotional post is a thousand dollars. Let's change the language yeah. on that. Not suggested. Said you could. The minimum you can pay to do this is right. So if I have, if you have over one hundred fifty thousand Facebook likes, you're not going to advertise unless it's minimum a thousand dollars, and that was to reach about five hundred thousand people. And so you know, it's a really, it's a really just frustrating thing. Um, and you know it's forced it's forced all these bands to become creative in a way that's either 
then comes off as kind of gross or just frustrating for the band. So, for example, uh, Knuckle Puck, and I'm sure other bands notice that their posts just naturally do better at night because kids are home from school and they're maybe on Facebook more when they're home from school doing homework or whatever. Um, so we've, we've come to realize that if we post something, let's say at six o'clock at night, we're more likely to have that post shared by more people. Um, and if you don't know how it works, basically, if you share a Facebook post on your personal page, it's going to bolster the amount of people that obviously see it. And that, that brings you into all these new possible demographics of people. And then Facebook likes that in their algorithm. So they make that post more popular. However, you don't really have any way to know or control that. It's just kind of a luck of a draw. Is this fan going to like and share and comment on this post? Because if he only does one of those things, I'm only getting you know, 8% of my fans to see this. But if 50 people share this post, maybe I'll get a reach that's larger than my page. So it's you know, there's all these dumb things. Like bands are like, please share this post. We want to make sure everyone can see it. And on the one part, and on the one side, you probably have to feel like a little sympathetic because it's like, oh, that's such a bummer. They don't like their music fan, their fans who buy their music cannot see them and support them. And on the other side, it's like, don't ask me to share this. That's gross. You know, I, I, I agree. The, sh- the sharing thing is gross and it's pathetic when bands do it now. So here's another interesting thing that I wrote up on uh, Museformation um, recently is that Facebook um, it now punishes you, as I put it in the article, Facebook will punish you for encouraging your insufferable fans. Um, so your fans won't see your updates if you say things like um, if you post the same content over and over and over again, like if they see you posting the same link, they start to punish you and won't let as many people see it. If you say, please share, not as many people will say it, we'll see it Um They put it into their algorithm that basically they don't want you to do that anymore because they want it to be natural, passionate sharing. Now, part of me thinks that's good because, you know, what we hated about MySpace is how spammy it got. And I think that it's great that Facebook tries to discourage spam. But at the same time, this is a really annoying thing for anybody who is like, hey, I'm going to try to build a, fa- a place where I can talk to my fans. And like, you know, at the heyday, and I want to say, like, let's go back to like that 2009, 2010 thing. And you're a band like 303 and you're having a conversation with your fans in the chat of your comments and you're getting 3000 comments and a discussion going between fans about what you're doing. I think that was kind of a cool thing, but now that has totally died because your fan uh, your fans don't have a community where they can like sit and talk in the comments amongst each other and you even see like there's no group I, I see like you know most of the groups I'm following um their fan bases are growing yet how many people are commenting on their posts is shrinking and that's not a natural thing of just people are getting apathetic to Facebook which is also happening it's a thing because Facebook doesn't let everybody see it and there's not as much of a forum about it anymore which Right, you're not getting anything back. Yeah, you're not getting anything back. That's why, like Tumblr, like Tumblr has taken over for this, right? Like, yes, I'll wake up in the morning and I will wake up to the world is a beautiful place, answering 500 messages on Tumblr while I'm asleep, or whatever band you know, and and kids like that one because they're they're gonna. It's not only a like a hundred. It's not a hundred comments on one Facebook post. It's an individual ask to a band, and they may individually answer privately or to their whole follower base, right? And so that's so much more attractive to people now. Or, or you know, just tweeting someone on Twitter about like, "Hey, are you? I, uh, when are you coming to town? We came there two days ago. How do you not know that?" For example. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> we should talk about that in a later episode. Yeah, we, we should talk about that because um, I'm the king of finding out that my favorite band played the day before. In fact, I added even the, the oh, other week that... That's terrible of you. You shouldn't admit that. Uh, you, you, you know what the thing is? is I'm not... Um, I'm so busy I don't always remember to sign up for song kick updates and things like that. And it's also hard when a lot of your favorite acts are social media retarded because they're weirdo dance producers from England that don't write, quite know how to use the internet. Hmm. There. I guess you don't run a website where you have to post about tour dates every day. Yeah, yeah. So st- 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 stop old man <laughs> shaving me, Zach. Jesus. 
Um, so I don't know. It's just kind of upsetting to me, but I will say that brand new announces that they're releasing an album tomorrow. And we post that on Facebook. Tons of people will share it and we'll make, we'll get crazy traffic from people that have never seen the website. So, you know, the, the thing about Facebook is as much as it's frustrating, whenever I do something not on purpose and it works in Facebook's algorithm, it's incredible. Yes. Like we, we will see more new and organic traffic from Facebook from people that have never seen the site before uh, than anything else. Like on, you know, on Twitter, it goes to our 28,000 people and, you know, people were, and people will retweet that and whatever. And of course we'll get new visitors from that, but it doesn't, it doesn't stand a chance when it comes from, when it like competes against Facebook. And I'll go into our real time Google analytics and I'll see that like we have, 80% new visitors on the site right now and I'll click from where and they're all referrals from Facebook. And it's just this thing that because of how Facebook's newsfeed works now, it's not the most recent stories, it's the most popular ones. So it doesn't matter if I posted this thing two days ago, if it's getting shared each day, it's going to be in the top of someone's newsfeed three days later and I'm just going to get more and more from that. And it's awesome. And that's how it should work to me, but it happens like three times a month. But it could be happening for me or for a band or for a label every day. But it there's no chance. No. So it's you know it's it's a bummer because it, it it's phenomenal when it's phenomenal, and it's just so pointless when it's not. And the pointlessness greatly outweighs the usefulness at this point. And I don't. It's clearly not changing. It's clearly only increasing how they are working that method, and it's frustrating. They're going down this road further, and they're going to keep going down it. And I think what's an interesting side to this that you mentioned is that, um, so you know, what should be your strategy when it comes to Facebook posts? And a lot of what I talk about in my book is that, like, if you're the type of person who wants to overshare, you have tons of news. Twitter and Tumblr are a much better place than Facebook. Facebook's almost like best to like just kind of keep your biggest news, but like the days of like. You know, showing a picture of a cow you saw on the side of the road on Albuquerque on Facebook are so over. And if you're still doing that, you're you are a sucker and you should really keep Facebook for the important updates and also use it for what it it is good for, too, is time posts. Like, as Zach mentioned, like six o'clock does really good for the bands he manages. And like, for example, for me, for music business content around four o'clock on the East Coast does really good for me and I see better results. Um, find those things, schedule updates, make them work. But like, don't overshare on Facebook because the other big thing is is one of the other reasons not as many people see your posts is let's also remember, unlike Instagram or Tumblr, you have the ability to say, even though I like this page, I don't want it in my newsfeed. And that's another big reason not everybody sees your posts on Facebook is also that it's not just Facebook's hiding it. Facebook is hiding it, but you're also getting ignored if you're worse at Facebook and you're doing too much sharing. That's true. Sometimes you have to, you have to, guiltily like someone's fan page that they invited you to and you just hit ignore on it uh yeah like sometimes you just gotta do that (laughs) sometimes you just gotta do that Uh, (laughs) let's call that a daily thing yeah one other thing i just want to quickly mention i i couldn't find a link but i've heard uh kevin lyman from you know the founder of warp tour talk about this a bunch over the last year facebook i mean warp tour i and like i have to give like props to kevin like he's incredibly on top of where his ticket buyers of Warp Tour live online. Like he he is totally bought into that like anyone else in his position and age has that I've ever seen in terms of what he's doing as like a promoter as as an as an agent of a tour that is imperative to bring out 10,000 people or more a day and they need to be considerable they need to grow every year. It needs to be we need to bring the new class of 14-year-olds in every year. And so Kevin has said that Facebook used to be their primary place. That's like that's where they needed to get the news out about Warp. But now, like he 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 wants to just abandon basically Facebook because of this of this new model that they're just driving home. And so instead, Kevin is focusing all of Warp's efforts just on YouTube and Instagram. And it's really interesting. Like he's like, yeah, if we post anything on Instagram, like we're set. Everyone sees it. Everyone likes it. And that's great. And for YouTube, it's worked so well for them that they're even bringing out 
they usually have a pit reporter. That's just someone that films a new, basically, video every day from Warp Tour. But instead, they're bringing out, like, these YouTube personalities that have incredible, like, staying force with all these weird people that we don't know exist because we don't use YouTube like that, you and I or random mm. person X. But, you know, they have this direct line to uh, this this community of kids, of young kids that Warp Tour can't hit on their own. So, like, Kevin Lyman's smart enough to say, hey, Brian Stars, <laughs> you know, come come on this tour and, you know, blog or do, like, vlogs or whatever mm-hmm. to your 200,000 uh, YouTube subscribers and it'll be great. And you know what? And you know what? Like, I think it is going to be great. And it's really, it's really interesting to me when you see someone that has this 20 year business of this really incredible and successful tour keeping up and making, you know, pretty important decisions on how to keep his tour vital and young. And like to see him just like publicly like shame Facebook and being like, actually like all this, we can do it so much better and we don't have to pay thousands of dollars for the people that want to buy tickets to see when we're playing there and so i just like it's interesting when you actually see the big names make the switch and they are making the switch agreed and i think this is a great point um to make and like i will second this by also saying something i had discussed um i was interviewed on this podcast called pop cultivation and we had a really great discussion about that no band in our scene, I, I will always say this, there may be one or two that I'm not aware of, are, but are using YouTube to its full potential right now. And YouTube right now is the West that's wait, waiting to be one. Um, the bands, or I should say, you know, these YouTube personalities who do this, they're usually pretty terrible at music compared to most of the bands in our scene, but they know so well how to make YouTube work and they hold chats in the comments. And they do all these smart marketing things. And when the first good band in our scene does this, they're going to blow up so huge. But every band in our scene ignores this. And so because of that, tons of terrible bands are acts or cover bands, whatever we want to call them, are blowing up from YouTube because they're using the tools that are there and they're taking advantage of it and – um the good bands aren't and that could be a big change and if you want to see an opportunity that's waiting to be had youtube is it in this scene it's just going to take that one manager that's like hey you guys you need to invest in this and then it'll, and then we'll see yeah it. and then tons <laughs> tons will follow after. um yeah cool so uh also once again off the record is sponsored by card included card included is the only self-serve download and card service around for just a few dollars bands and labels can secure a large amount of download cards uh, with no sign up necessary and so that'll be great for when you're going on tour and you hopefully are selling a lot of vinyl but everyone wants also the digital download uh so you know go to card included to upload your music and logos in a nice easy and attractive manner for your download cards uh, fans who down, fans who use those cards to download your music have the option to let them know what state or what city you're in, and that can help you a bunch when it comes down to routing your next tour. Uh, so go to cardincluded.com for more, and thank you once again for sponsoring Off the Record. So this week, uh, we also got a little feedback, or a question rather, about what our opinions on uh, 10-year tours or... Uh, just basically anniversary of an album tour. So not 10 years, but it's year seven, and the band just wants to play the album for whatever reason. Um, so, Jesse, you don't go to many of these, or you do? Uh, well, the 10-year tour tends to be right now for the generation of pop punk that I'm not as enthusiastic about because I was kind of older, but I go to tons of reunion tours, and the big thing I find about... These tours, like the full album tours, is I think every band, like when they have a successful record, when they go to do their headlining tour, or the last tour of the cycle, they should play that album all the way through if people really liked it. Like there is so many times that I've wished, like, for example, like when I fell in love with Say Anything is a Real Boy and I was seeing them on tour, I'm like, just play the album all the way through. It's your debut album. <laughs> like, I just want to hear every song. I love every song on this record. And 
I think bands should do that a lot more often. I think kids would really, really respond well to that on a headlining tour. And um, advertise it as such. People will be enthused to hear that you're playing the full album that they love. And uh, I think this is a great thing. I love a reunion tour. It gets me and my friends to get to go out and hang out and reminisce. But the 10-year tour thing, you know, I don't have a lot of friends that are going to get excited about 10 years of Finch what it is to burn or whatever we're doing. Uh, but you know what? I'm looking forward to the Let It Unfold You one. I am too, for so many reasons. Uh, but I think you made a really good point about like, if you're a young, if you're any band and you have an album and people truly ro- love that album, they just don't love track three or whatever, then man, it would rule to see some of these bands do that. Uh, so, for example, the Hotel Year uh, released an album in February called Home Like No Place There Is, and uh, they just started a tour that is over soon with Modern Baseball, but uh, everyone loves that album, and they are playing only songs from it, and they don't have a full, they don't have like a 40-minute set to play the whole album, but they're playing like seven out of nine songs on the album, and uh, you know, that's my second favorite album of the year, and I saw them play it, and I was so stoked. I was like, it's great that I don't have to wait 10 years for this or whatever, uh, and it's phenomenal. And uh, I, Yeah, I saw, I saw them on Wednesday play it, and kids lost their minds. Yeah, it's a, it's just a thing where if you can write an album like that, that everyone's just like, every song's my favorite song, then you should do it. Uh, I think uh, Deaf Heaven, uh, Deaf Heaven, Deaf Heaven is the other example of a band that I'm aware of that's recently just is playing their full album, uh, Sunbather, and that's really cool too. But so I think that's cool. I'm I'm a person that typically likes new albums from a band, but I think a lot of people that like, how, like at what point does that stop working? Is it only okay if you're a young band with one or two albums? Because uh, I don't know, Say Anything. Let's say everyone loves this new Say Anything record. Like, what about all the other songs? And I'm, I guess Say Anything's a bad choice because they're a cult band, but even if it's someone just like, I don't know, like a, rand- a random popular band, like can they really afford to play their new full album and be like, uh, we're going to play an encore, of course, but that's only going to have four of our 12 quote-unquote hits. You know, I also think bands can step up the game. Like, you know, Say Anything's a great example of this, too, is sure, play all of Hebrews and play a two-hour set. I like. I, I think so many bands are afraid of that long set these days. It's like, you know, like, I don't know. Maybe it's, and you know, I admittedly get a little tired after I have a trouble watching bands for even more than 30 minutes for most bands. But, you know, a band like The Cure plays a two-and-a-half-hour set. Now, They've been doing that since they were about as far into their career as Say Anything is. And I don't think that's the thing is if you have a long-lasting career of songs people want to hear, that's not the worst thing. And the funny thing is, like, to use The Cure as a great example is they have a couple albums fans really hate, and they kind of skip over them. And I think that's another thing about this is it's like, yeah, maybe you do your full album and you do a greatest hit set. Maybe you do it in whichever order you want, like, um... Thomas was saying about how interesting it was about how Brand New was clumping together their set during album phases. I think that's a great thing, too. Like, I think a lot of times, like, bands structure their sets in really dumb ways, and they don't realize that for a lot of people, that album represents a set of emotions they had. And, like, while, yes, if you don't like that particular album, you're going to be bored for a little while, but, like... I think it's really interesting to, like, sometimes clump together a set of songs in a certain way and, like, find creative ways to do this. I don't think bands put enough effort into figuring out the creative ways to do these sets. They just emulate what every other dumb band is doing. I totally I totally agree with that, actually. The brand new thing <clears throat> that Thomas has talked about and that I have been lucky enough to see a bunch of times is awesome. You know, they just they go in chunks and... Because it's brand new and everyone wants to hear them play forever, they don't mind playing an hour and a half or more. And so it's not like a three-chunk thing per per album. It'll be five or six songs per album. And it's just so great uh, because they're going to play every song you want to hear them play, plus probably one or two more on each album. And I think that's a great way to do it. And I don't think many bands structure their sets that way and i don't actually i can't think of another band that i've ever seen that has structured their set that way and i don't know why brand new does it but 
I hope they don't stop doing that because it's so enjoyable to me, and I can't wait until they have to add like another chunk of five songs in there for their next album because uh, I want to experience all of them. And that's the thing, like unless I'm just going to see this band because I only like four of their songs, which is not something I do. Like, play for me what you want to play, and I'm gonna, I'm probably gonna enjoy it unless like your singer can't sing or something, you know. And so, I. I think there is a lot of room for people to be creative in a way that's kind of just really easy, but everyone's a little too lazy to do. Um, and so I think if you're a younger band, like I would definitely love to see more bands play their album full. And so I was listening to the Somos record earlier, and I would love to just see them play that from front to back. Uh, that'd be great. Or, you know, whatever, whatever random band you want to throw in there. Um, I think it does get a little trickier if you're six albums in and you can't play a two-hour set. Um, but you know, there's so much room in the middle there between the two extremes that like, I just think if you take a little more time to figure out the set list and figure out, Hey, like people seem to react to this, or I like when brand new does this, maybe I should try this with my band that it would be pretty solid. Yeah. I think there's I like a lot. A lot. Of so, so then here, here, this leads to another question that I always find interesting. Um, how much new music that no one's heard should a band play live? Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, so I don't think anyone in the world, like, I feel like 90% or more don't like that, including the bands who do play their new music before it's been released when they go see other bands. Like, I like whenever I read an interview or hear someone talk about that, it's like, yeah, like, I don't like when bands do this, but we're going to do it. And it's just like, what are you doing, man? Like, you're calling yourself a hypocrite right now. <laughs> so, so, so we're, we're, what do we're, you think? We're largely on the same, same I, so there's a very rare exception of that. Like, you know, if I've seen a band three times on their album cycle, that it can be kind of cool if I'm that obsessed with a band that I've seen them multiple times, which I can't really think of many I've done in the recent years. But, um, but I remember there was a band when I was coming up called Dry Coalition who actually have a really cool documentary about them coming out soon. They were like kind of like one of the bigger emo bands when emo first started. Um, they got popular enough that Dave Grohl produced for the records, but they were very famous for like by the album release show. They were just playing the set of the next album. And, you know, this is a band that put out a lot of music and people hated them for it. Um and it kind of added to their reputation, but it is that thing of like I don't think people like more than one song. I I could pretty confidently say that if you're a band and you're playing more than one per hour, your fans are really really not feeling that. Yeah, like it, there has to be I think such a special bond between the fan and the band that where like you have the leeway to really like go like to play three new songs live like i think honestly the only band i would be okay with just hearing new material from uh is brand new like i i i honestly just can't think of another band for me where i'd be like oh yeah like i would i'd be happy to hear you do this instead of playing songs that i love from albums that have already come out uh like i saw the first time i ever saw brand new they debuted like two songs of Daisy before it came out. And I was like, yeah, this is great. This, this was the first time they had ever played those songs and I felt lucky to hear them. But for other bands, like I probably can't hear what the singer's singing about. Lyrics are really important to me more than music is more than the music is most of the time. So it's like, it's hard to enjoy to the fullest extent that I would like to enjoy. Uh, and so like one song, two songs, if they're spread over a long set is solid. But if you're just going to play like new songs, no one, no one's going to leave there feeling fulfilled, I think. Right. And that's kind of like when you leave the show, you want to be like, that, that was great. I, I don't know what, what other songs I would have wanted them to play. Uh, but I probably didn't want to hear them play four new songs. <laughs> I, I think a great example of this too, is if you're so, uh, what I saw are the refused reunion shows. It was like that thing. They didn't play every song off shape of punk to come. And we all walked out. We we're like, I can't believe they didn't play X. I can't believe they didn't play Y. And instead, you know, you play some obscure song, you leave the crowd unhappy. Now, I know that there's a fine balance for bands of like, how much are you doing this for yourself? How much are you doing it for them? But, you know, part of me thinks that 
Um, the set list is never something you're ever going to be totally happy with, especially if you're Aerosmith and you've been playing Dream On for 30 years. you got to want to kill yourself. I mean, I know <laughs> I want to kill myself every time I even hear that in a bodega because I've heard it so many times through my life, and I used to like that song at some point when I was in 12 years old. But, like, I'm sure they're sick of it. Um, and I think that there is a thing of, like, you know, if you want to keep getting them checks, you got to find interesting ways and put put a little bit more effort than a lot of these people are putting into it these days. Yeah, and I guess to circle back what we started talking about originally, like it does it does frustrate me when a band will play like their full album 6 years or 8 years let's say after it's come out, even if it's a fan favorite because they're limping along now and they're not going to make it to 10 years as a band. <laughs> uh and that that one like I'm da- like that's the thing I am down for like I love 10-year tours or anniversary tours. Um, so for what you were saying, like a lot of the pop-punk-ish 10-year tours that come around now, they don't necessarily interest you. They greatly interest me because I was too young to see any of those bands play a majority of those songs when I started getting into this music. So I am crazy lucky enough to have seen at this point uh, like five out of my 10 favorite albums front to back over the last like four years. And I believe I'll probably get another one or two of those in the next few years. You know, like hmm. I saw brand new play all of their albums last year. I saw tell all your friends. I'm so talking back Sunday to tell all your friends three times. I flew to LA to see blink play my favorite album of all time. Like I've, I've, and I feel so lucky to get those experiences and like, I love it as long as the band is not like a, you know, as long as the band can still like play their instruments and do it well or whatever, like that rules so much to me. And I, I feel Are so lucky. Are you implying Blink One Eighty Two can play their instruments? Well, they don't need to. There's a difference. <laughs> 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 it's okay if Tom messes up that tenth guitar riff. It's okay. Um, <laughs> it's all right. It's gonna be all right. Um, but you know, I just, I just feel so great about that, and I feel so lucky, and I'm like. Yeah, I don't care. Like, take I don't I don't even view that as a money grab. I just view it as like it's a celebration. But you know, when you see that band do like a tour thirteen years after, or seven years after, it's just like, all right, what are you doing right now? Uh, and now, and at that point, sometimes it, it'll feel a little less authentic to me, and it just bums me out a little. But at the same time, like if I love the album, I am going to be excited to see the album. But you know, for example, like Lydia just did a ten year tour of Illuminate. And I was sad I couldn't, I'm sorry, not a 10-year tour. They did a full album tour of Illuminate, and it has not been 10 years. Uh, and I was like, oh, that feels kind of like fake to me. Like maybe you just had a weird time before you released your new album and you wanted to throw a tour in there. Um, but there, there are instances where it does leave a bad taste in my mouth. So, 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 so 10 years is long enough for you, but seven years you're a little like, ah, I don't know about that one. Yeah, like ten years, like it, it, like I guess five years is okay too. But I don't know. There's just something to me if it's like we didn't want to wait till we didn't want to wait three more years. I'm like, I'm sure your wallet didn't want to wait three more years. That's right. Um, ten years, it just seems kind of like that. Like that is what we have. That is what we have come to expect now, right? Like that's just the like quote unquote like industry standard. Do your ten year yes. tour. Uh, great. And so I feel like anything, I don't even know if that should make me feel good or bad, but it's just accepted. And so I feel like when you see a band be like, eh, we're not going to, we're not going to be able to be a band for three more years. We're just going to do this now. Uh, that's when it's like, uh, maybe I wouldn't have rather you done it at all. Cool. Well, that's probably a good place to leave it. Any, any recommendations or have you been too studio busy lately? Yeah, I've been very studio busy, but, uh, I've been reading a great book called, um, the Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday that I think anybody who likes this podcast would enjoy, which is um, it's a lot about like stoicism and uh, that the challenges you have are the most important thing and that when something goes wrong, having, having to figure out how to make it go right is the most important part of your life. And uh, it's a great read and it's really fast too. So you can get it and it's really inspiring and I've felt really inspired lately from reading it. Awesome. Uh, I would recommend Kevin Devine's Matter of Time live EP record. Uh, a few years ago, before Kevin went on a tour, his goddamn band just went into a studio and tracked all these songs that they'd be playing on the tour live, and it rules. Uh, also, Andrew McMahon played Everything in Transit 
at a one-off Chipotle festival in San Francisco this weekend, uh, and I am crushed. And so everyone listened to that album because it's phenomenal. And that's the one album I really need a 10-year tour of still. So please do that for me next year, Andrew. I really appreciate it. Thank you to everyone for listening to Off the Record this week. Uh, we were brought to you once again by Limited Run and Card Included. You can keep up to date with us at offtherecord.fm. Jesse's on Twitter at Jesse Cannon. I'm at Z Zerillo. We'll see you guys next week.